I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s... I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Every Day Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Every Day Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories, and we tell stories about everything here on this show, including your story. Send them to OurAmericanStories.com. They're some of our favorites. Christopher Klein is the author of four books and is a frequent contributor to the History Channel. You've heard Chris tell the story of how Johnny Carson saved Twister and how Mark Twain helped Ulysses S. Grant complete his memoir that saved his wife from destitution. He's back with another Here's Christopher Klein with a story of how Abraham Lincoln used the telegraph to help win the Civil War. Nearly 150 years before the advent of text, tweets, and email, President Abraham Lincoln became the first wired president by embracing the original electronic messaging technology, the telegraph. The 16th president may be remembered for a soaring oratory that stirred the Union, but the nearly 1,000 bite-sized telegrams that he wrote during his presidency helped win the Civil War by projecting presidential power in unprecedented fashion. The federal government had been slow to adopt the telegraph after Samuel Morse's first successful test message in 1844. Prior to the Civil War, federal employees who had to send a telegram from the nation's capital had to wait in line with the rest of the public at the city's central telegraph office. Days after the bombardment of Fort Sumter, Andrew Carnegie, the future industrialist who at the time was superintendent of the Pittsburgh Division of the Pennsylvania Railroad, sent the following order to the railroad superintendent of telegraphs. Send four of your best operators to Washington at once. Prepare to enter government telegraph service for war. Those four men would be the first of the 1,500 called into service in the newly created U.S. Military Telegraph Corps. Using wire coils borne on the backs of mules, the Corps undertook the dangerous work of crossing battlefields to lay more than 15,000 miles of telegraph wires on poles, fences, and bushes 
That allowed news from the front lines to be transmitted nearly instantaneously to a telegraph office that had been established inside the old library of the War Department building adjacent to the White House in March 1862. Lincoln, who had a keen interest in technology and remains the only American president with a patent, spent more of his presidency in the War Department's telegraph office than anywhere else outside of the White House. As a president who craved knowledge, he trod a well-worn path across the executive mansion's lawn to the War Department to monitor the latest intelligence arriving in dots and dashes. David Homer Bates, one of the four original members of the U.S. Military Telegraph Corps, recounted in his book, Lincoln in the Telegraph Room, that several times a day, the president sat down at a telegraph office desk near a window overlooking Pennsylvania Avenue and read through the fresh stack of incoming telegrams, which he called lightning messages. As telegraph keys chattered, he peered over the shoulders of the operators who scribbled down the incoming messages converted from Morse code. He visited the office nearly every night before turning in and slept there on a cot during pivotal battles. Lincoln, though, had not made a great first impression upon Bates and the other telegraph operators. He seemed to us uncouth and awkward, and he did not conform to our ideas of what a president should be, Bates recalled. But the more time the president spent in the telegraph office, the more their impressions changed. He would there relax from the strain and care ever present at the White House, and while waiting for fresh dispatches, or while they were being deciphered, would make running comments or tell his inimitable stories, Bates wrote. I soon forgot his awkward appearance and came to think of him as a very attractive and indeed lovable person. Major A.E.H. Johnson remembered, he came over from the White House several times a day and, thrusting his long arm down among the messages, fished them out one by one and read them. He had a habit of sitting frequently on the edge of his chair with his right knee dragged down to the floor. Bates also recalled to Lincoln that in the intervals of waiting, he would write messages of inquiry, counsel, and encouragement to the generals in the field, to the governors of the loyal states, and sometimes dispatches announcing pardons or reprieve to soldiers under sentence of death for desertion or sleeping on post. Lincoln even communicated by telegraph with his family when they were away from the nation's capital. One time when traveling in New York City, Mary Lincoln wired her husband asking for $50 and news of their young son's pet goats at the White House. Lincoln telegrammed back, Tell Tad the goats and father are very well, especially the goats. As his family learned, Lincoln would be very direct in his communications. While generals such as George McClellan sent 10-page missives, the president replied in three to four sentences. The telegraph allowed the president to act as a true commander-in-chief by issuing commands to his generals and directing the movement of forces in nearly real time. For the first time, a national leader could have virtual battlefront conversations with his military officers. The lack of interstate telegraph lines in the South precluded Confederate President Jefferson Davis from doing the same. Lincoln wasn't shy about stepping in and asserting his thoughts on telegrams that weren't even addressed to him. When General Ulysses S. Grant rejected General Henry Halleck's suggestion to remove troops from the siege of Petersburg in 1864, the president lent this support after reading their communications. Hold on with a bulldog grip and chew and choke as much as possible. To Lincoln, the telegraph office was not just a 19th century command center, but a sanctuary from the throngs who descended upon the White House every day in search of jobs and favors. I come here to escape my persecutors, Lincoln quipped to telegraph officer Albert B. Chandler. Telling homespun tales and cracking jokes, the president befriended the officer's telegraph operators. When news of Grant's capture of Vicksburg, Mississippi arrived by wire in 1863, Lincoln flouted regulations and bought beer for the operators, drinking a sudsy toast with the general's telegram in his hand. On April 8, 1865, Lincoln himself telegraphed the office from City Point, Virginia, with news of Grant's capture of Richmond. A week later, the telegraph office broke the devastating news of Lincoln's assassination to the nation as it tapped out the message that Secretary of War Edwin Stanton wrote from the president's deathbed across the street from Ford's Theater. Abraham Lincoln died this morning at 22 minutes after 7.
And a great job, as always, to Greg Hengler for the production on the piece. And a special thanks to Christopher Klein, Abraham Lincoln, the first wired president here on Our American Story. Folks, if you love the stories we tell about this great country, and especially the stories of America's rich past, know that all of our stories about American history, from war to innovation, culture, and faith, are brought to us by the great folks at Hillsdale College, a place where students study all the things that are beautiful in life and all the things that are good in life. And if you can't get to Hillsdale, Hillsdale will come to you with their free and terrific online courses. Go to hillsdale.edu to learn more. This is Our American Stories, and up next, a story you likely won't forget. Across the state of Iowa, people can find the Freedom Rocks. These rocks, painted by Ray Bubba Sorensen, depict local military heroes and scenes of battle as a thank you to American veterans. Here's our own Monty Montgomery with the story. Ray Bubba Sorensen was born in the heartland of America. So I was born in Creston, Iowa, and I grew up in the little town of Fontenelle, Iowa, about 600 people. You know, played uh, about every sport, and uh, just had kind of your normal generic uh, high school or or small town upbringing before technology really hit, I guess. So uh, my Uncle Ted uh, served in uh, Vietnam as a Navy CB, and you know, most, most of the country knows that, you know, our Vietnam veterans weren't treated very well when they returned back from service and they came home to a, to a very ungrateful nation. And, you know, some were spat on, some were, you know, protested as they got off buses and planes. And a lot of those guys kind of hid their service or, or were ashamed of their service. And my mom told me about all that. And, uh, you know, that never sat well with me. And then of course, like as I was growing up, movies like Rambo, TV shows like Tour of Duty, old old shows, uh, World War II dramas like Combat. My mom would watch those with me, and although you know they were you know fictional, they were based on actual narratives of Vietnam veterans, World War II veterans. So my mom was able to kind of illustrate to me the service and sacrifice of of all of these men and women, how much, especially our Korean War, which was a forgotten war, and and our Vietnam veterans were treated when they came back, and that just really stuck with me. You know, and as I, as I grew up, I started to, I guess, parallel stories here, become interested in art. Like I said, I had a love for football, so a lot of my artwork is, you know, patriotic or it was very much sports-based. So, you know, I kind of just started, I guess, on this diverging course of my love for veterans and, you know, my patriotism growing and me growing as an artist just kind of set me on this course to, I wanted to say thank you to our veterans. But the birth of Ray's ultimate idea to say thank you happened in a movie theater. What the ultimate spark was is I was sitting in a movie theater watching the movie Saving Private Ryan. And, you know, if you've seen that movie, you know, the first half hour, you know, our men, and and you could even say boys, some of them were 17, 16, 17, 18 years old, are literally storming the beaches of Normandy, spilling their guts for our country. And it was just so realistic, so in your face of, you know, what maybe a glimpse of, of what war was like. And I just left the theater saying, I've got to find a way to say thank you to all our men and women that serve this country. And that was kind of the birth of the Freedom Rock. When I had the idea to, you know, paint the very first Freedom Rock, I thought, where am I gonna put this mural? Where, you know, I, I have no no experience as a mural artist, so for me, I wasn't going to, you know, tap tap some business owner on the shoulder and say, hey, can I, I have no experience at all, can I paint the side of your wall? So, you know, my, my thoughts turned to the rock out there. The first rock was uh, known as just the rock. The rock, it sits next to a rock quarry, and, you know, they're mining, uh, you know, gravel and, and limestone and, and things out of this quarry, and they hit this huge granite boulder. So they just left it there as a marker to the entrance to the quarry. And kids started graffitiing it. And I started tagging it with, you know, all sorts of stuff, you know, 
I think there's been marriage proposals. There have been, there was a giant M&M at once. There were, there were, uh, I think one of, I have one of the pictures though. One of the funnier ones was Santa Claus with his pants down moon in the traffic around Christmas. And, and that's just kind of how it went. And I thought, hey, for Memorial Day, I'm gonna go out there. I'm gonna throw my paint on there, say thank you to the veterans. And you know, my thought was, it's gonna get painted over and be long forgotten. You know, it was just gonna be my one time to say thank you and then it was gonna continue to be graffitied through the years. I grabbed all the paint I could, what I thought was outdoor paint. I mixed oil and acrylic, which is a huge no-no in the art world. I had no idea what I was doing, but I was going to kind of teach myself how to paint a mural. And so that was that was the start of it. And I just, I it was bound and determined to say thank you to these veterans and uh, you know, my mom and dad always tell this little side story. I, I'm a college student, so I'm broke. And uh, I was like, mom, can you buy the, the paint for this rock? I wanna say thank you to our veterans. And she called dad and she was like, I don't, he wants to go paint that large boulder north of town. You know, do I buy the paint? It's gonna be 50 bucks. And dad was like, do it. Yeah, it sounds like a, a heck of a project. And so they kind of both take credit for, you know, buying the first paint for the original Freedom Rock and, and that's how it was born. I painted uh, Thank You Veterans for Our Freedom and the flag raising at Iwo Jima because that is my all-time favorite picture. And it happened exactly like I thought. I painted it, lasted for a few months. Thank you to the veterans. Somebody painted over it, fine, moving on. But the thing is, is Memorial Day came around again and some local veterans asked, hey, will you go out there and paint that same thing that you did last year for us? And I thought, you know what? I'm gonna do one better. And so I went out there and I painted uh, Lee Teeter's reflections, or at least a version of it, um, you know, painting it on a rock. And like I said, as a, as a budding mural artist, I still have a lot to learn, but I gave a shot at, you know, that famous reflections, uh, Vietnam veterans uh, memorial wall painting and some other scenes. And that ended up lasting for an entire year which was unheard of with The Rock. It always got painted over within a month or two, but nobody touched that one. And so it lasted a year, and that was like around the town, around the Dare County, where The Rock was famous. Everybody's like, oh my God, nobody's painted over The Rock. Nobody, what's gonna happen? Nobody painted over The Rock. Are we just leaving this how it is? And instead of doing that, I thought, well, I don't wanna kill the spirit of The Rock changing. You know, people kind of got used to it, having different artwork on it, so I thought, well, I'll go out there and I'll paint another different scene thanking our veterans. And so that's kind of what snowballed it into the annual tradition of, you know, I go out there at the start of May and I allow myself the month of May. I finish my new artwork thanking our veterans and I'm always done by Memorial Day, no matter what. So some years get more detail than others, um, just depending on weather and time and how many visitors I get. And that's, that's kind of the whole story of how The Rock became, uh, I guess, my canvas of choice and, uh, and, and how I've spent the past 22 years uh, repainting it every Memorial Day. And since then, Ray's project has expanded beyond the original Rock. It's a much, much larger operation now because of some interesting Iowan inspiration. I started the, what's known as the Freedom Rock Tour. I had the idea to try and paint a smaller version of the original Freedom Rock in every single one of Iowa's 99 counties. I don't know if you know, politics-wise, we have a, a, a very famous senator from Iowa, Chuck Grassley. He's always known for doing what's called the full Grassley, and that means you know visiting every single Iowa county, um, you know, every time he runs for re-election. And I thought, you know, how neat of an idea is that to be able to go to each one of our 99 counties? And I thought, you know, how cool would it be as an artist to have uh, a piece of artwork in all of Iowa's 99 counties? And so that's kind of where it was born. And uh, my first idea was to try and do uh, one in all 50 states. And my wife was like, hey, let's, let's scale it back a little bit and see, you know, let's, let's keep you closer to home and keep, keep you in state. And so we kind of talked it over and we decided to do the one in every, every county in Iowa. And uh, when we announced it, I thought, you know, there's only going to be a few people that get it or, you know, I was like, I, I told my wife, I was like, if we book 10 in the first year, we'll be lucky because I just didn't figure people would, you know, jump on it that quickly. We ended up booking 60 of the Iowa counties in the first year 
and then subsequently booked all the counties in the few years after that. And uh, started off and I just finished uh, a week or two ago, I finished the 95th out of 99 counties in Iowa. And you're listening to Ray Bubba Sorensen tell his story of the Freedom Rocks in Iowa. And it took saving Private Ryan, well, to just act as a catalyst for this endeavor. The Freedom Rocks, the story continues here on Our American Stories. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. 
Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we return to Our American Stories and the story of the Freedom Rocks, painted rocks thanking our veterans and found across the state of Iowa and slowly moving across the United States. Ray now shares with us the stories of some of the memorable people he's met while painting these rocks. Take it away, Ray. I have a few really special stories that kind of stick out. Probably the very first one is, uh, you know, goes with the, the guy that I call the Sergeant at Arms of the Rock now. He's kind of been a caretaker of the flags out there and just kind of overall maintenance of what's going on with the grounds around it. He's a Vietnam veteran and he was uh, driving semi-truck for one of the, the local companies in town. And uh, I, just, I just started painting the one, that, that uh, the very first one. And I started painting it. I put the, had the flag raising done. I, was, I think I was working on the lettering. And he's coming down this large hill, coming towards the rock, and he slams on the brakes of the semi-truck and pulls over. And I thought to myself, like, oh, crap, I'm in trouble for painting this rock. And I kept telling myself, like, I had called the quarry and asked permission. I have every right to be here and paint this. You know, this guy gets out of the truck, and he almost looks angry. And he's like, are you the one painting this? And I was like, yes. And I was like, sweating a little bit and he was like I just want to say thank you he's like us Vietnam veterans didn't get a very good welcome home and I appreciate you know people when they do stuff like this for our veterans and so it's become kind of a lifelong friendship from there on out and for the past 22 years he's kind of helped me keep an eye on the rock and keep the flags up and flying and and uh, so it's that was that was one of the memorable ones Uh, another one you know a few years into painting it I had a young man, I, and I say young man because I think he was younger than me even at the time, and I was fairly young. Um, he had just gotten back from overseas, and he came out and very polite, you know, said, appreciated my work as a veteran. He also appreciated how quiet it was when it wasn't a patriotic holiday. Like, he didn't, he didn't come out to the rock on the Memorial Days, the 4th of Julys, and things like that. He always came out on a non-holiday to sit and reflect. And he also said that like he was had, had he told me, he's like, I, I had suicidal thoughts. I wasn't feeling very good about myself or my service. I came out here, I sat on this little rock and I stared at your rock. And he goes, it just changed my whole perspective. I, he goes, I don't wanna get all mushy about it. I just wanted to be, I wanted to tell you that. And I wanted to tell you how much it meant to me. And then he got up and left. And I thought, wow, that's, that was powerful. And that's one, Stories like that are one of the many reasons people always ask, why do you continue to do this? Why do you continue to paint for our veterans? And it's veterans like that, that I don't know that I may be affecting in a positive way, and I hope I am. I hope it's landing that way with all of them, um, whether I get to talk to them or not. Like I tell my wife and I've told my parents before, if I, if I get to save one veteran or if I've, I've affected somebody like that, uh, that's, that's good enough for me. Ray also creates us murals with more than just paint. I've actually painted the remains or cremains of many veterans on the rock or mixed them with the paint and painted them on there. So at, the, at current, I'm around 120 different Vietnam veterans' ashes are mixed into the green paint of the helicopter on the north side of the rock. And uh, how that started was some Vietnam veteran bikers that were on their way to the wall in Washington, D.C. for Memorial Day stopped at the rock. 
I was painting a tribute to our, you know, Vietnam veterans at the time and they, you know, they absolutely loved it. And they go, hey, can we go get some ashes of our recently fallen uh, Vietnam veteran brothers and sprinkle them here by the rock? And I said, I wish you'd just dump them in my paint can and I'll paint them on the rock because it's so windy out here. You know, I don't want them to blow away in the wind. And they loved that idea. So they, about seven or eight of them went and got these ashes and they kind of all dumped them into my, my paint can. And I mixed them up and, and painted it all on uh, these helicopters on the on the north side of the rock and and they loved it and I thought that was a neat little tribute and I thought it was over after that and then I started getting Vietnam veterans ashes in the mail started getting them from all over the country and they came with letters and they came in different little pill boxes and ornate vases and sometimes just Ziploc bags and they came saying, this is my brother. He, he passed away from Agent Orange exposure in Vietnam. Loved your rock, loved your work, wants to have parts of his remains on this rock. Got to the point where I don't think my wife liked to go into the P.O. box because there was always Kermains, you know, waiting for us to, and I just, what I did is I collected them each year. I'd let them ride around in the truck with me until it was Memorial Day and I was done with the rock and they were always my final edition at one o'clock on Memorial Day and they still are. So I still collect, you know, our Vietnam veterans who, who want to be a part of the rock. I collect their ashes and I, they all go on. We, we read their names off, we paint them onto the rock and they're there forever. The, the hard part and how it's gotten harder for me is I've known a lot of these veterans now. I've gotten to know them over the years and they've always said they want their final resting place to be that rock. And then they've, they've passed away and it's, you know, yeah, I've become friends with these guys and uh, yeah, it gets, it gets harder and harder. But I always try and say, you know, it, it's, a, it's a unique memorial and kind of a unique place for them to be. And I'm, I'm so honored to even be a part of it. One of the guys that was in the Veterans Hospital out in Omaha, his son called me and said, can I bring my dad out to the rock? He is not in good health. Would you meet us out there? And I said, absolutely. I'll go out there and say hi, I'm in town. And uh, went out there and met him and shook his hand and, and he had oxygen hooked up to him. And he was like, well, the hospital wasn't very crazy about us getting him out here, but he really wanted to see the rock. He wanted to touch the rock and he'd like to ask you if he can be have his ashes put on the rock. And I said, well, absolutely, but you know, stick around. Let's, you know, we'd like to see you get better. And what I didn't know was that he was in his final days. And two days later, I got the call that he had passed and his ashes were on the way. And so his family came out and uh, we, I believe we didn't do that one on Memorial Day. I think we did it on like July 4th because they just, they wanted to have like more of a private uh, ceremony and have the ashes go on in that way but I just thought that's it's it's amazing how much the Freedom Rocks message has gotten out there and I'm glad it has and it's kind of amazing the response and, and how many veterans want to be a part of it and and that couldn't couldn't make me happier I've just I guess I I would say I I don't know how to describe it but I feel very lucky to live in this country and and there's so many men and women that have fought and died for this country over its many years. And I feel like I owe them at the very least this, if not more. I, I, feel, I feel guilty and spoiled to be able to enjoy such a beautiful country and the freedom to, to tr try and earn to make a living. And, and I, didn't, I wasn't forced to join the service. I wasn't drafted. I didn't join. I'm not a veteran. And, and how lucky am I? And that, that's my outlook, and that's my outlook every day. I always tell people like, you know, like, oh, what are you doing for Memorial Day weekend? Or this is Memorial Day or Veterans Day. And I'm like, for me, every day is Memorial Day and Veterans Day. It's just, that's the way it is with my family. Um, I've kind of roped them into a, a lifetime of solitude with me. And uh, our goal is always to thank our veterans, lift our veterans up and uh, do what we can to honor them and say thank you. And a special thanks to Ray Bubba Sorensen for sharing this beautiful story. And, and thanks, as always, to Monty for doing such a great job on the production. And what a beautiful thing to do with your life, Ray. Go to thefreedomrock.com 
and donate to the Freedom Rock Foundation to help support the preservation of these rocks. The story of Ray Bubba Sorensen, the story of the Freedom Rock, here on Our American Story. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. 
Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Our American Stories, and now it's time for our Opportunity America series, sponsored by Coke Industries. More than 67,000 people across this country are employed by Coke, and there's a good chance that their work intersects with your own story in some way. Learn more about Coke's incredible work at CokeIND.com. That's Coke, K-O-C-H-I-N-D.com. And without further ado, here is today's story. One day, I was watching the news, and I saw, unfortunately, that a set of twins had died due to heat stroke in a hot car. And at this point in time, my mom was pregnant with my baby sister, And I didn't want this to happen to her or anybody else. So I decided I had to invent something that would solve this problem. Hello, my name is Danny Mefford. I'm 12 years old, and I enjoy inventing. When I was young, I used to have this kit called Snap Circuits, which is basically a little circuiting kit, but I always used to build things with that, then take them apart, then build new things with it. I started watching this TV show with my dad called Nova, and they had one segment about outer space with Neil deGrasse Tyson in it, and that just really got me interested in his book, so I started reading up about stuff like that, and ever since then I've been fascinated by space. Books have knowledge, and like when you read stuff like that, it opens your understanding of everything. There's this test that we take, it's called the Kogat test, and if you place in the 95th percentile or higher, you get into that cognitive ability class. Well, we basically do things that you want to do in an ordinary class, like we do problem-solving things that really open our minds up. The teacher also uses a national curriculum called Invention Convention, which helps develop creative problem-solving and critical thinking skills through invention and entrepreneurship. The students find problems and create inventions to solve them, competing with other students in their classroom, within their schools, state, and even across the nation. Well, the first invention I worked on was back in third grade. It was an invention to block rays of sun from getting into your photos. And we made out cardboard, then we went to popsicle sticks, did we went to paper mache that we covered in tin foil and painted black. It was really it was a really fun process. In the fourth grade, I invented the baby saver. The baby saver is a weight activated heat sensor that attaches to a car seat, and when it gets too hot or cold inside of a car, it'll notify a parent or a guardian that the baby is stuck inside of the hot car. And I started tinkering around with some snap circuits. Uh, some heat sensors, some tactile buttons, until I just got a bunch of prototypes until I built my way up to the invention I have now. So, on the base of the car seat, there is a momentary tactile push button. So when pressure or weight is applied to it, it turns on a circuit. Connected to the bottom of this are two black wire extenders coming from the bottom of the car seat. Connected to the black wire extenders are a 9 to 12 volt converter and an LED light-up screen. The 9 to 12-volt converter allows my invention to be plugged into any USB port, which can be more modern cars, solar panels, and even battery packs. Connected to the LED light-up screen is a temperature probe, which is placed at the top of the car seat, and is placed there because heat rises. Heat stroke does occur at 104 degrees. My alarm goes off at 85 degrees, to give parents, police, or anyone who needs to rescue the baby enough time to get to the child. Uh, my invention has an alarm that goes off, which is almost like a alarm to wake you up. I want Bluetooth capability from my invention to the parent's phone. That is something that I'm still looking into right now. But yeah, that would be the future edit. Once it gets too hot, it automatically notifies the parent. On my app, there is a section where you enter what your car looks like, the license plate of your car, the location of your car, 
So if it does have to go to the police, the police know exactly where it's located, what the car looks like, and what to look for. In any process of making anything, there are points where you want to give up or you want to stop trying, but thankfully I have a very supportive family around me that when something like that happened, they told me to get back up and start anew. In any design process, I don't like to call them mistakes or mess-ups, but they're unscheduled learning opportunities where you look at that, you say, hey, I messed up there. I'm going to look up, move forward, try again. So basically, that's what I did until I got something that worked. And I tinkered around again and got something better than that. I grew off from my old inventions and made them into the invention I had now. I recently went to National Invention Convention, which is in Michigan at the Henry Ford Museum. So the National Invention Convention is the third and final contest in the Invention League competition. First you do regionals, which is at your school. Then you do state, which is where you come together with people around the state and compete there. Then you go to nationals, which is from people across America and from other countries come there too. The couple awards I won was first place for fifth grade. And the second award I won was the Coke Industries Kid Innovator. There was around 600 people there and they all had so incredibly fantastic inventions and I really didn't think that I could outweigh that, but when I heard that I was chosen to have the Coke Award, it was amazing. I mean, like, it was incredible. I was in awe because when stuff like that happens, you really don't believe it's happening. But I was so grateful, and it just all added up to that moment right there. And it was awesome. Honestly, I had no clue what what the award meant until we got an email. Then I was just like, oh, God, this is more than just a award at Nationals. They actually invited me out to Molex Automotives to one of their R&D departments in Michigan. The first thing I see when I walk in is they have a slideshow playing, and it said, Welcome, Danny Mefford. So automatically, I was feeling very welcomed from them, which was amazing. I got handed a badge. Then we went into a conference room where I got to brainstorm with people about my invention. And it was crazy because when they gave me the lab tour, I got to see so many things I didn't even know that they have to do before they put things out there on the market. Like they were testing wires to put on the bottom of a car and they had to strap them onto these machines, and, like, the machine would shake for, like, 30 minutes. They would also put these in these boxes with, like, 300-degree temps to see if they would withstand that. It was definitely life-changing because it opened my eyes to what kind of jobs are out there. It opened my eyes to how, what I can do to get my product on the market. So, yeah, but I am so so glad that I was able to have the opportunity and still to this day I'm using the things that I was taught at Molex in my everyday life. I have I'm patent pending for the baby saver which is another amazing thing that Coke and Molex was able to provide me and actually I'm going to nationals this year for my invention the quick click. The Quick Click is a simpler and easier way to install a car seat. So basically, it is a slim piece of plexiglass with a carabiner attached to the end. And you slide it through the hole of the car seat, which nobody likes having to shove the seatbelt through that little hole where you get your hand scratched up and stuff like that. That's never fun. So my invention is a thin piece of plexiglass with a carabiner, and when you slide it through the end, you attach it to the seatbelt, and then you simply pull it through without the hassle of having to do it by hand. 
Me, my parents inspire me to keep on moving forward. But another person who inspires me is Stephen Hawkins because he, even through his disabilities in life, he pushed through that and became one of the most well-known physicists to ever step foot on Earth. It inspires me that even when something bad happens, you just have to push forward. I would like to be remembered as a human who lived a kind life. I just want to be someone who's kind, helpful, innovative, and loving, and someone who changed the world. And you've been listening to Danny Mefford. My goodness. Danny Mefford's story, our Opportunity America series, sponsored by Coke Industries, here on Our American Stories. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals, Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s... I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Every Day Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Every Day Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.